Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part two of his teaching, The Prosperity of God. All right, praise the Lord, the prosperity of God, part two. First of all, we started the series three weeks ago on May the 1st, and we had to take a break for Mother's Day and then for the Tagans, our new children's ministers who came to our church last week. So if you missed part one or you want to listen to it in sequence with part two and part three when they're done, you can do so by going to our podcast and listening to it there. So in part one, we spent quite a bit of time reading through Deuteronomy chapter 8 up through verse 18. So I thought it best to begin this morning by reading Deuteronomy 8.18 once again to remind ourselves of the ultimate purpose of biblical prosperity. Amen. So Deuteronomy 8.18. Most of the passages we'll read this morning will be from the New King James Version, so I will just tell you when there's an exception. Verse 18, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. The Word of God there says it is God who gives you the power or the capacity to get wealth. But that wealth is not just for you. That wealth is meant to establish God's covenant on the earth with mankind. And the preeminent covenant in effect on the earth right now is the covenant we have with God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? So applying this knowledge to our times, you could say this verse like this. It is God who gives you the power to get wealth so that He can establish the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the earth. And as we're finding out, that power to get wealth, that capacity to get wealth comes in, in God's economy. And in God's economy, giving is regarded more highly than receiving. So the rules are a little bit different in God's economy. Amen. In fact... Given is one of the best ways that you can increase your power or increase your capacity to get wealth. Amen. That's why the Apostle Paul said we should remember the words of Jesus in Acts 20, 35. He said, remember how the Lord said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And with that in mind, you find that the more you get into the Word and study the topic of biblical prosperity, the more you realize that the prosperity of God toward men and women, mankind in general, is tied to the generosity of the individual. Proverbs 11.25, the generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. I'm going to unpack this just a little bit here. You know, the King James says, the liberal soul shall be made fat. So we should all be liberals and aspire to be fat. No, that's, what, that's not what the Scripture is saying. 
we are to be liberal in the sense that we are generous and we are made fat in the sense that we receive an abundant supply in return. Amen. And you know, water here in this verse is a metaphor which speaks of something that we all need in order to survive. We can't live without it. In fact, you can't live more than three to five days without water. You can live a couple of months without food, provided you have an ample supply of water, but you can only go days without water. So it's not a stretch to say that water is a life-giving substance. So applying this to Proverbs 11.25, you could say that a generous person who gives life-giving substance to others will receive life-giving substance abundantly in return. Amen. Isn't that good? And it all begins with a generous heart. Proverbs 22, verse 9. He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. This scripture says to me that a generous person is always looking for ways that he can bless others. Is there someone you know that has material needs and you have the resources to meet that need? If so, Go and meet that need. That's what a generous person is like. He's got his eye out there looking for people that he can bless. Isaiah 32, 8. But a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. You know, a generous man is constantly thinking of ways that he can bless others. And he blesses them wherever and whenever he can. Therefore, when the time of his need arises, he shall stand. Amen. All of his needs will be met with an abundant supply. You know, one of the ways I decided decades ago that I was going to demonstrate generosity was by tipping generously to waiters and waitresses. Whether I receive good service or not, I decided I would give them the benefit of the doubt if they treated me rudely because you never know what hardships they may be facing or how nasty other customers might have been to them all that day. You just don't know. I've heard from people that I know that worked in food service for years, and they say that it's not uncommon for a table full of Christians to leave a dollar or two to a server who went the extra mile for a large group only to be insulted with a pittance for a tip. Brothers and sisters, that is a terrible testimony to be giving to someone who may not know Jesus Christ as Lord. It reminds me of a joke of when the $100 bill met the dollar bill. And the $100 bill said that the dollar bill, I've been in all the finest restaurants, all the great resorts, all the cruise ships, the finest airplanes. I've been all the casinos. I've been just everywhere. Where have you been? The dollar says, I've been to church a lot. (laughs) So shifting gears a bit now, I want to illustrate the concept of a generous heart through the story, oddly enough, of Cain and Abel from Genesis chapter 4. 
So bear with me. You will learn something from this story that you might not have thought about before. Genesis 4, verse 1 through 8. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So Abel was a shepherd, Cain was a farmer. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, or their abundance. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. He's warning Cain, don't let sin take control of your life. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Now, it's commonly taught that the reason God received Abel's offering but rejected Cain's offering was because Abel offered a blood sacrifice and Cain did not. And don't misunderstand me. I know it's clear from the very beginning that God had given man a revelation of the blood sacrifice to atone for sin. They knew about blood sacrifice even in the beginning. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that without the shedding of blood... There is no remission of sin. And animal sacrifices back then and through the ages of the old covenant, they were a type of the coming Christ who would shed his blood once and for all for you and for me. Amen. But having said all that, I don't believe in this particular case that an animal sacrifice was the issue. Because we find out later in Scripture that God asks us to bring the first fruits of all our increase. And Cain's offering was the first fruits of all his increase, literally because he was a farmer. It's what he did. It's what he had. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Well, that's great, Brother Scott, but I thought the ground was cursed because of Adam's sin, so the fruit of the ground was cursed. Yeah, you can say that. But by that logic, the sheep that gave birth to Abel's lamb ate the grass that grew out of the ground that was cursed, so it was also cursed. So, no, I I don't think that's what's going on here. I think it boils down to this. I think it was a matter of the heart. I think Abel brought his lamb to God by faith with a generous and thankful heart. He brought his best. And I think Cain brought his first fruits begrudgingly out of a sense of obligation. And for that reason, Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's was not. And Scripture bears this out. Hebrews 11 verse 4 says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, 
through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Amen. It says right there, there was faith involved in Abel's sacrifice. God saw his gifts and judged that they were righteous. His motives were righteous. Cain was just the opposite. Do you treat your tithes and offerings as just another obligation? Just another bill that has to be paid or a note that you have to keep track of? Or do you prepare it by faith with a generous and thankful heart? Now, we're going to read from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 1 through 15 in the Amplified Classic Version. And it's a lot of Scripture because the Amplified Classic is very wordy, very voluminous, but I like it because it brings out some of the nuances of the Greek language that other translations don't. Amen. So bear with me as we go through this. Some of it you're going to get, some of it you're not going to get, but I want to expose you to a passage of Scripture that probably has more to say about giving and the motive behind your giving than any other passage I'm aware of in the Bible. So it's worth listening to this morning. So I'll read some verses, and then I'll comment. I'll read some verses, and I'll comment, but I won't comment on all of it. Just receive the word as it goes into your spirit. Amen. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 1 through 15, Amplified Classic. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. Now, about the offering. I like that because right off the bat, you find out this is talking about giving. It's talking about tithes, offerings. It's about giving to people in need. Amen. Now, about the offering that is to be made for the saints, God's people in Jerusalem, it is quite superfluous that I should write you. For I am well acquainted with your willingness your readiness and your eagerness to promote it. And I have proudly told about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, most of Greece, has been prepared since last year for this contribution, and consequently your enthusiasm has stimulated the majority of them. Still I am sending the brethren on to you, lest our pride in you should be made an empty boast in this particular case, and so that you may be all ready as I told them you would be. Lest if any Macedonians should come with me and find you unprepared for this generosity, we, to say nothing of yourselves, be humiliated for our being so confident. That is why I thought it necessary to urge these brethren to go to you before, go to you before I do, and make arrangements in advance for this bountiful, promised gift of yours, so that it may be ready, not as an extortion, wrung out of you, but as a generous and willing gift. That's a mouthful, but I do have a few things to say about those passages there. Here, a huge offering is being systematically collected from the Greek believers of Asia Minor, which was to be given to the Jewish believers at Jerusalem. Notice Paul exhorts the Corinthian believers to prepare ahead of time, prepare their hearts and prepare the actual offering and be willing to give it generously. Not like it was extortion being wrung out of you, amen. So here we find the same principle that we found in the very beginning. Giving is a matter of the heart. Do you give grudgingly out of obligation or do you give generously and willingly? 
Verse 6 says, remember this. He who sows sparingly and grudgingly will also reap sparingly and grudgingly. And he who sows generously that blessings may come to someone will also reap generously and with blessings. So here again, as we talked about in part one of this series, the primary motive of your giving should be that blessing might come to someone else. Amen. Verse 7, let each one give as he has made up his own mind and purposed in his heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion. For God loves, listen to this, God loves, he takes pleasure in, prizes above other things, and is unwilling to abandon or to do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt-to-do-it giver whose heart is in his giving. Wow. Verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace, listen to this, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. Wow. If there ever was a definition that sums up the concept of biblical prosperity, it can be found here in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 and 8. And I've told the Lord, one of these days, I'm going to commit that to memory because my pastor back in Shreveport did, and he spouts it all the time. And I'm like, dang, I need to memorize that. It's so powerful, but it's so wordy. You know, it'd take a little bit more time that I've been willing to invest up to this point. But I'm going to do it. Amen. Verse 9 says, as it is written, he, the benevolent person, scatters abroad. He gives to the poor. His deeds of justice and goodness and kindness and benevolence will go on and endure forever. You know, over there in Mark 9, 41, Jesus said, if you give a cup of water to somebody that's thirsty, you will not lose your reward in heaven. Heaven never forgets generosity and giving from the heart. Never, ever, ever. If you give somebody, a, you know, just a cup of water, and, and they're sweating and they're hot and they haven't drank anything in a long time, and you just give them a little bit of water, the Bible says you will be rewarded in heaven. You may even forget the incident altogether, and you will be reminded in heaven of all those things that you did like that, that you thought were insignificant. They weren't insignificant in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. Verse 10, And God, who provides seed for the sower and bread for eating, will also provide and multiply your resources for sowing and increase the fruits of your righteousness, which manifests itself in active goodness, kindness, and charity. Notice that God gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He meets the need. And he gives you seed so that you can meet the needs of others. Amen. And they both work together to multiply your resources for sowing and increasing the fruits of your righteousness in practical ways. You know, it's a bit of a mystery, but when you sow natural resources, they take on a spiritual quality when you release them into the hands of the Lord. Amen. Sometimes he gives seed. And sometimes he just meets the need. In either case, it's a supernatural thing. 
For example, if you have a need that you just can't meet, you just don't have the dinero, you don't have the dollars, you just can't meet it, and you get a check or sum of money that you're not expecting, and you look at the need, and if the amount you were given meets the need, well, then take care of the need. Just take care of it. But if the amount falls well short of meeting the need, don't say, well, it's, it's, least, it's at least a half. I can scrounge up the rest. No, consider prayerfully giving that portion as seed to someone else's need. Amen? Amen. Then believe God by faith to receive a harvest off that seed so that you can meet your need. Amen. Real quick testimony. Trish and I were involved for 14 years in prison ministry back at Fort Wade Correctional Center in Keithville, Louisiana. And we even established a Bible school within the walls of the prison. It was really glorious, and it was very, very worthwhile. And uh, we used to drive up there usually on Thursday nights, and we would go just about every Thursday night for 14 years. Sometimes I would go by myself, but most of the time, Trish and I would go together. And we had a group of uh, prisoners that would come faithfully to our services, and it was awesome. The one thing that wasn't awesome was the praise and worship. They, they met, and we met in an activity center there on the grounds. And uh, I remember the first time I encountered uh, their praise and worship, they had a little rinky-dink Casio keyboard. Didn't even have speakers or anything. There was no sound equipment, nothing. And the praise and worship was consequently just awful, you know. May I be frank, it was just awful. But they did the best they could with what they had. And I remember talking to Trish, and I said, I think we need to save up some money so that we can, uh, we can provide a keyboard, one that, you know, we'll keep possession of, and we bring out there every Thursday when we have service so that at least they can hear some anointed keyboard playing, which my wife is well capable of doing. Amen. And so we set aside $1,500 because we saw a Yamaha S80 that cost $2,500, and uh, we were $1,000 short. And I remember riding to the prison and feeling very frustrated about that. I couldn't come up with that extra $1,000, and I just, I just sort of just had a little outburst on the way to the prison, just me me and the Lord. And I said, Lord, I'm totally frustrated. I need $1,000 to come up to $2,500 so we can go down to the music store and buy that Yamaha S80. 88 weighted keys just like my wife likes. You're just going to have to take care of it. I'm not worrying about it. I'm not thinking about it. I'm not going to ask you about it. You just take care of it. And I just put my hand in the air like that, and I'm thinking right away, man, you better watch your tone with the Lord. You know, you're borderline disrespective to God Almighty. You know, I just kept quiet. I quietly said, Lord, forgive me if I'm out of hand here. So went, I ministered that night, and they were playing that Casio. And I drove back, and uh, as soon as it was about a 40-minute drive, as soon as I got back to Shreveport and walked in the house, the phone rang. And it was a guy, can't remember his name, we'll just call him Mike Smith. Hi, Scott Forrest, this is Mike Smith. I'm the CEO of Kroger headquarters for this region. I said, great, what you calling me for? He says, well, you know that little discount tag that you have on your key ring that you swipe and you get discount on certain foods at Kroger? I said, yeah, I use it all the time. 
He said, well, we pulled your name out of thousands of people in your region, and we want to send you a check for $1,000. I mean, jaw-dropping moment for me. I was like, when did you pull this? He said, just about an hour ago. So it was after I prayed. It was literally hours after I prayed that it manifested. I was like, praise the Lord. And I had a brief moment there where I thought, well, maybe I should pay, pray more flippant prayers like that more often. And, and the Lord said, no, no, don't get cocky on me. Just believe me that your needs will be met. Amen. Awesome. All right, so I want to start at verse 11, but for it to make any sense, i got to go back to verse 10 so there's some continuity And God who provides seed for the sower and bread for eating will also provide and multiply your resources for sowing and increase the fruits of your righteousness, which manifests itself in active goodness, kindness, and charity. Verse 11, thus you will be enriched in all things and in every way so that you can be generous and your generosity as it is administered by us will bring forth thanksgiving to God. For the service that the ministering of this fund renders does not only fully supply what is lacking to the saints, God's people, but it also overflows in many cries of thanksgiving to God. Man, I love that. A generous offering given for a good cause will not only meet the need, but it will bring forth thanksgiving to God. Listen, whether you realize it or not, when you sow and you give offerings, somebody somewhere We'll be thanking the Lord for the lives that will be changed and the needs that will be met because of your generous giving. You may not know this side of heaven, what your giving has done. Listen, we, we support six ministry organizations that minister all over the world. So you have no idea where your money's going and the lives that are being changed because of your generous giving. Amen. Listen to these next few verses, verse 13 through 15, then we're done with the heavy scriptures. Because at your standing of the test of this ministry, they will glorify God for your loyalty and obedience to the gospel of Christ, which you confess, as well as for your generous-hearted liberality to them and to all the other needy ones. And they yearn for you while they pray for you because of the surpassing measure of God's grace His favor and mercy and spiritual blessing, which is shown forth in you. Now, thanks be to God for his gift, precious beyond telling, his indescribable, inexpressible free gift. Now, that's not talking about this offering. When you give by faith out of a generous heart, you will draw attention to the gospel and the indescribable, inexpressible, free gift of God, which is Jesus Christ our Lord, will be offered not only in your region, but also to the nations. So let me wrap it up by reading from Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 in the Holman Christian Standard Version. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. 
read that part again. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Amen. Hallelujah. So hear me out. If we are destined to partake of the glorious prosperity that is to come when Jesus sits on the throne in Jerusalem as the king of the world for a thousand years and beyond, if we're going to tap into that prosperity then, doesn't it make sense that God would want us to access some of this vast prosperity in the here and now when there's a gospel to be preached and a world to be saved? Yes and amen to that. Whether you realize it or not, it takes money and lots of money to take the gospel all over the world. Some of you remember this back in 2019 when our friends Mark and Victoria Bowen came to us and they shared their stories of thousands coming to Christ in Pakistan. We were so blown away. Faith Life and Ricky Leonard Ministries and many individuals in the church, we gave until it hurt. We gave in ways that stretched us like never before, and we gave them a huge offering because they were preparing to go back overseas and do these open-air crusades, and they needed lots of money. Why did we do this? We wanted to see souls saved on their crusades or in their crusades in Pakistan and in other nations. And listen, this is what happened in the overseas crusades that they conducted after they left us. Not just because of our gifts, but because of the gifts of many churches and individuals as well. Listen to this. This is a mind blower. They recorded over 250,000 first-time decisions for Jesus Christ in just four crusades. Fast forward to today, and we do still support them and their ministry. Fast forward three years later... And their crusades routinely have 100,000 in attendance. And 80 to 90% of them make first-time professions of faith in Jesus as their Lord. And most of them are Muslim. I'm telling you, that is a miracle. And the thing you got to know, and I know because I talk with them pretty regular, it takes hundreds of thousands of dollars to put on these crusades. Which brings us back to the point we made in part one of this series. The ultimate purpose of the prosperity of God is to provide the resources necessary to establish His covenant in all the earth, Deuteronomy 8.18. And the most important covenant in effect on the earth right now is the new covenant, the gospel sealed and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? So next week... We'll wrap up this series by talking about the tithe, what it means and what it doesn't mean. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed part two of Dr. Forrest's message, The Prosperity of God. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for Coffee and Fellowship and 1030 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, 
visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.